What's up, you family? Happy Monday. We are so excited to be with you. Uh, I know that you're as grateful as I am for Jeff Maxwell leading us in worship last week and this week. Uh, it's been an incredible time to be able to worship with you right where you are in your home. I want to welcome you to our live stream. My name is Daniel Harris. Uh, I'm the college pastor of The View. You got to hear from our director a couple of minutes ago, Jacob. Uh, I am so excited that you are tuned in with us tonight. Uh, the View is a college ministry that's a part of Bellevue Baptist Church. And we are on mission to see God's glory be restored right here in the city of Memphis. We believe that God has huge plans for this city and we want to be a part of it. And we're thankful that you're here. We really are. If this is your first time ever watching The View or if you've never been before, we're going to give you a phone number at the end that you can text and receive more information about how to get connected with us. But we're so thankful that you're here. We're so glad that you're here. And we had a great time last week worshiping with you, opening God's word with you. And I'm excited to do the same tonight. If you have your Bibles and hopefully a journal, something to take notes on, open up with me in your Bible to Psalm 34. And please find something to write with. I would love for you to take notes tonight. Psalm 34. And a notebook and a pen or something digital that you can take notes on. Last week, I preached on God's presence is a promise. It's something I believe was a very timely message. And over the last seven days, I've spent a lot of time calling different college students, talking to them, hearing them. And over the last seven days, I asked them, man, what is the biggest struggle for you right now in the midst of being quarantined and stuck in the crib? What is the biggest challenge for you? And to be honest with you, I was amazed at how many college students said the same thing I did. So many college students said, right now, Daniel, I am struggling to find and live in joy. To live with a joy. And I thought about that for a minute. I prayed over it over a couple of days. And I was going through the Bible and I landed on this psalm. And the Lord really put it on my heart to preach about joy. What does it really mean to have joy in our lives? What does it really mean to live in it? Because if I can be honest with you, if we can just talk tonight, you and me, if we can just be real, living in joy is something we struggled with before the quarantine. <laughs> it's not like the quarantine came and all of a sudden we lost our joy. If you're honest with me, a lot of us in our normal, everyday lives struggle to consistently live in joy. We're high, we're low, we, we go up, we go down. We get sad, we get burdened, all these things that are a part of life, but why do they press upon us so much? Why are they so heavy? Now, don't confuse joy with happiness, though. I've got to tell you this at the beginning of the sermon. Don't confuse joy with happiness, because happiness is a mood. Joy is a characteristic. Moods come and go, but characteristics are supposed to be a part of who you and I am, who we are. That's very bad grammar. I hope my wife didn't hear that. <laughs> who you and I am, <laughs> who you and I are. It's supposed to be a part of us when we get saved. So if it's true that we receive joy when we get saved, why is it so easily taken by other people's actions? <laughs> I, I was thinking about it for real. I was thinking, man, if joy was given to me by Christ, then why do I allow the devil to steal it away from me with temptation? If, if Christ is my joy, then how come what other people think about me has such a big impact on how I feel day to day? And I know that you probably have pondered these questions. Why are you so up and down? Why are we so high and low? I believe there's a way we cannot be this way. I think that we can hold on to joy. Now, I want you to know tonight, the devil's strategy against you is to steal your joy. You need to understand that you have an enemy and I have an enemy. 
and he will not quit. And his goal is to steal your joy. It's what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. The serpent stole their joy. And I believe it's because the devil knows. Watch this. Don't miss this. I believe it's because the devil knows that when non-Christians see the joy of Christ in the Christians, there's nothing that's going to stop them from getting saved. You see, I would argue that one of our greatest tools in evangelism is to show people the true joy of Jesus Christ. So if the devil can take away that joy from us and get us walking around looking selfish, looking mopey, like woe is me and, and always down, I believe that he has hindered our evangelism strategy. Because let me tell you, when a lost soul sees you, Christian, living in joy, not letting the world get you too down, standing on the foundation of the word of God, there's nothing else more desirable to a lost soul. <laughs> You're showing them the light in a very dark place. The devil's coming after you. He's trying to steal your joy. He wants to replace it with laziness. He wants to replace your joy with stress and anxiety and poor time management. <laughs> he wants to literally steal your joy and replace it with what he wants to use. And this is big. Please don't miss this. This is huge for our passage tonight. Whoever you're with, your family, your friends, listen. He's trying to convince you that joy is something you obtain externally instead of something that the Spirit of God gives you internally. But if you have the Spirit of God, you have joy living inside of you. Christians will still get hurt. We will still feel pain. We will face trials. In fact, our life ain't easier. It's harder being a Christian. But in the midst of all that, there's a way to live with joy. And I want to give you that tonight. The title of my sermon, if you'll write this down at the top of your notes, is Do You Have Joy? A simple question I asked myself, do I have joy? Even in the midst of a weird season, what does it look like? Because, if I can be real with you and be honest with you, I believe many Christians are better at faking joy than they are actually living in joy. You say, Daniel, whoa, 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 hey, hey. I know some of you are like, take it easy, man. You're getting up in my space here, Daniel. It's early. We just started a sermon. How about a story of your childhood? No, no, no. Listen. I believe sometimes we fake joy better than we actually live in joy. I remember when I was a kid, I was thinking about this the other day, I, I got sunburned really badly and my skin started peeling on my arm and so my mom let me use spray tan. I don't know if you use spray tan, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but she let me use spray tan so that I could try to cover up the areas of my skin because it was peeling and my arm was one color here and one color there. So I put on this spray tan and what was crazy about it is what I realized is that the spray tan never lasted. You see, I would put the spray tan on, and it would always fade away. If I could tell you anything tonight, students, I got to tell you, having joy is kind of like a spray tan. Watch this. Don't miss it. If it's just something you fake on the outside, don't be surprised when it fades away. <laughs> if it's just something you're putting on to cover up something, don't be surprised when it washes off. <laughs> because joy is not just something we fake on the outside like a spray tan. It's got to be something real that comes from the inside. That comes from the Spirit of God. So for you, Christian leader, do you spend more time hoping people see you joyful than you actually do living in joy? It's not in my notes. I know that's for somebody. Who is it for tonight? Now, as Christians, we're called to live in joy. You say, Daniel, why do a lot of Christians don't live in joy? If I can be real with you, they don't do what Christ has told them to do. When we don't pray, when we don't read, when we don't love and encourage people, when we don't worship the Lord, when we don't make disciples... 
If Christ is our joy, but we don't do what Christ told us to do, we're not going to find our joy. (laughs) And David in Psalm 34, this is a very hard time in David's life. And we're going to break down where he is. Look with me at Psalm 34. If you're with your family, whoever you are, let's look at Scripture together. Psalm chapter 34, starting in verse 1. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord and the humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. Look, David talks about his worship first and then he says, my worship is not dependent on men, but my worship is always open to other men. Come exalt his name with me. Don't let me do this alone. Verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He rescued me from all my fears. I know some of you need to hear that tonight. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant with joy. Literally, their faces shine with the joy of Christ. Their faces will never be ashamed. Skip with me to verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you believe God's good, say amen in your house. I believe somebody said amen. At least I hope they did. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him? Verse 11, come children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Number one, if you want joy, worship. Number one, I hope you're taking notes tonight. And we would love for you to share this live stream with your friends. Uh, Call your family members in the room, your brothers and your sisters. If you want joy, worship. It's a simple concept, but David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. He doesn't just say, I'll bless the Lord when I feel like it. He doesn't say, I'll bless the Lord when the people around me do. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and then other people are welcome to join in if they want. But I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, he wrote this from a very dark place. And some of you know this, some of you don't. Do you know where David is right now as he's writing this psalm? Right now, he is in Adullam Cave, a dark, lonely, depressing cave. God has just saved his life. And he's in this dark cave, and he's surrounded by other hurting, depressed men. Imagine the image. You're saved by God, but then you find yourself still in a dark place on this earth. You see, a lot of Christians get saved, but forget they live in a dark place. (laughs) And that's not in my notes, but we get saved, we're still in a dark place We got to be the light to the dark place. (laughs) David's here. He's choosing to worship. Now, wait a minute. Break this down with me. Number one, David is not allowing his environment to dictate his worship. But number two, David is not allowing the people around him to dictate his worship. (laughs) He's not allowing either one of those two things to lord over his worship of God. The reason why is because his worship is based solely on God. It's not based on whether people see you raising your hand and singing. It's not based on what the other people see when they look at you. It's not even based on having a full band here. His worship is based on the presence of God. (laughs) So can I encourage you and exhort you, please do not allow your worship of God to be dictated by man. Do not allow your worship of God to be dictated by the people you're around or your environment. Don't do it. Because God is bigger than the people you're around and God is bigger than your environment. Listen, as a Christian, you're going to find yourself in hard places. That's the reality of the Bible. 
You're going to find yourself in dark caves. You're going to find yourself alone. You're going to find yourself lonely. But you can worship God in those moments. If you're looking for where the Spirit of God in your dark place is, maybe the Spirit of God is in you in that dark place. If you're looking for the light in the dark place, it might be the Spirit of God being the light through you to other people. David decides to worship. (laughs) David decides to sing out. Man, right where you are in your room, in your living room, what's stopping you from getting on Spotify, searching a worship playlist, and worshiping right there? What's stopping you? There is nothing stopping you from closing the door and singing out to the Lord. But some of us, we haven't truly worshipped the Lord since the church tours closed. (laughs) For some of us, our worship is more dependent on whether a man-made building is open or closed than it is on whether we believe God is with us. And that's the reality of it. But that's a hard place to live. Some of us, we've done every single thing we can in our house except worship. (laughs) We played every board game. We watch every movie on Disney Plus. We've invited still everybody over that we can, but we haven't worshiped the Lord. The best thing you can do for your soul is not disciple others, it's not evangelize, it's worshiping the Lord your God. Once you do that, the other things all of a sudden don't seem like a burden. You feel burdened to share the gospel, your worship's off. You feel burdened to pray, your worship's off. You feel burdened to make disciples and invest in somebody else and encourage someone else? I would say it's probably because your worship is off. I think for a lot of us, too many of us only worship, and this is me, this is where I land, too many of us only worship when we feel like it. Can you imagine that's how God operated? Like, just be real for a minute. Can you imagine if God only listened to our prayers when he felt like it? (laughs) Like if God only leaned his ear into our, our words when he was in the mood for it, instead of offering us the time to pray and worship and talk to him all the time, can you imagine? That's a, that's a sad way to live. David did not allow his feelings to dictate his worship. He allowed facts to dictate his worship. He said, yes, I'm in a dark place, but the fact of who God is has not changed. <laughs> you see, because David's perspective of God was holy, his worship was holy. For you, I know that you love your feelings. We all love our feelings, and they're not bad, but oftentimes if they're the driver, they're going to drive us astray. When I was a kid, I remember I had a skateboard phase. I don't know if you ever had a skateboard phase. Mine lasted about nine days. Uh, I went and bought a skateboard. I went and bought some vans. I bought a wallet that had a chain that I could connect to my belt loop on my jeans, and it, I mean, this phase hit me hard. And I love skateboarding for those nine days. I remember I went to this hill, and I put my skateboard down, and I decided to go down this hill. And I get on my skateboard. I'm going down this hill, and, I mean, this is awesome. I'm loving it. The wind's blowing through my hair. This is nice. And then all of a sudden, the wheel of my skateboard hits a rock. <laughs> Not a good feeling. I literally go flying off my skateboard face first. Hurt, like all get out. I got up, I went back to see what it was. I literally, I went down, I picked up the rock, I looked at the rock, I said, I said, goodness gracious, this, this rock is so small. Yet this small rock halted my entire momentum. I, I can't make it any clearer for you. If you want to know what it's like for a Christian who follows their feelings, it's like riding a skateboard. It's going to feel perfectly smooth at first until you hit the smallest bump. You see, your feelings are not prepared for the road ahead any better than my skateboard was prepared for the road ahead. Your feelings, as soon as they hit the smallest amount of conflict, your whole life goes flying. (laughs) 
That's what happens when you follow your feelings. But when you follow the Lord over your feelings, the Lord is prepared for anything that comes on the road ahead. The Lord is not thrown off by a small rock like your feelings will be. But you got to decide to stop living in your feelings. But I know I'm talking to somebody. We got to choose to wake up. Worship is not just based on how we feel. It's about giving God glory. And there's nothing stopping you from worshiping right where you are. Worship the Lord. Let me give you a challenge, college students. Worship the Lord this week with your family, with somebody. You ain't got, none to, you ain't got nobody at home. If you're alone, FaceTime someone and worship with them through technology. Turn on the same worship song and sing out to the Lord if you don't want to be alone. But your worship cannot be dependent on the church doors. Because if you only worship when you and I feel like it, it's going to be a life of very little worship. God wants your soul to be better than that. God wants your soul to have joy. And he gives it to you through worshiping his name because he is worth it. God is worth it. Look with me at verse 3 of Psalm 34. Verse 3 says, proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. And then skip down to verse 11. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Number two, if you want joy, encourage somebody. As simple as it sounds, if you want joy, encourage somebody. Say, Daniel, that sounds like a good point. I can get behind that. I can call somebody. I can encourage them. Encourage somebody. David doesn't just worship alone. He invites these other men in this cave to come and join him in worshiping God. He looks at these other hurting men around him and realizes something that I think we struggle to realize. He realizes that, man, they need God too. David realizes this worship of the Lord ain't just about me. This is about these other men who are hurting. He realizes they need to be encouraged too. You know, David didn't have to include these men. Can I tell you two reasons why? David didn't have to include the number one because he was tired. He said, Daniel, how do, you know, how do you know David was tired? He just barely escaped with his life. He's been busy. He's broken down in his cave. He's hurting. He's tired. He doesn't feel like encouraging. He doesn't feel like including people, yet he overcomes those feelings. But number two, these men can't do anything for him. <laughs> They're hurting and depressed too. They literally have nothing to offer David, and yet he still extends an invitation. See, a lot of us will extend an invitation to others to come be a part of what we're doing if we can get something from them. Man, that's not the way Jesus lived. I got to tell you, college student, that's not the way Jesus did it. The reason why most of us walk around feeling unencouraged is because we're not taking the time to encourage anybody else. <laughs> it's simple, man. Like, if you want joy, the Bible says when you make others a priority, when you love and encourage others, you will receive joy. Your soul will feel fulfillment like you never have before. For me personally, in this quarantine, I realized very early on that I had lost my joy. If I can be real with you, if I can be vulnerable and just talk to you, I learned very quickly I lost my joy in this quarantine, and I realized why I lost it. I was sitting at home one day, I realized I'm not praying for people. I'm not calling people. The people I claim to love, the people I claim to be my family, I'm not calling them. I'm not texting anybody. I'm not reaching out. I realized I had lost my joy because I wasn't seeking to give it to others. For some of you, you're wondering why you lost your joy in this quarantine. Because it's been about me, 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 me. 
It's all been about how I am struggling. So I decided. I made a change in my life. Just like I'm getting right for the summer, I'm on this diet. I'm trying to cut these calories back, and it's hard because I'm stuck in a house, and all there is is food around me. I'm making a change. I'm getting right for the summer. I made a change. I said, you know what? I'm going to start calling people. I'm going to start loving people. I'm going to start encouraging people. I, I just did it with a couple people. It wasn't 20 minutes. My whole demeanor changed. It wasn't 20 minutes. My whole soul changed. Listen, you can't encourage everybody, but it'll matter to the ones you do encourage. <laughs> I got out of my normal sphere of people. I got out of my normal friend group who I'm used to encouraging. And I started encouraging people that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And it was even more rewarding. I was like, man, I encourage somebody that I don't even talk to. It's amazing. It has nothing to do with me. It's all the spirit of God working through you. He can work through you during this time. It's amazing. Do you remember Jesus Christ when he was on the way to Jericho? He's walking to Jericho and all of a sudden he hears, remember, he hears a blind man calling out and begging for him. I know you remember this. Look with me in Luke 18. This will be on the screen. One of my favorite moments in the whole Bible. Luke 18 verse 35 says, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now just stop for a minute right there. Can you imagine... You're blind, you can't see, you're poor, and you get word that the Messiah is close to where you could be? You get word that Jesus, who they've been talking about, fed the 5,000, walked on water, who they said could do miracles, you hear he's close, wouldn't you be screaming too? I mean, he literally, he literally starts shouting, look at this, he called out, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. He calls him by the name of who we're studying now. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. And look what they do. They come to him and they say, shh, 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 shh. Hey, chill. If it was 2020, they would have been telling him, hey, chill, man. You're doing too much. And if he would have listened to man, he would have missed out on the miracle. Some of us were listening to men, and that's why we're missing out on God's miracles. They tell him to be quiet. He starts shouting all the more. He literally gets louder. He says, son of David, have mercy mercy on me and then look at this moment right here Jesus stopped just imagine this for a moment we're going to stop right here Jesus stops imagine you are this blind man and all you've been hearing is the footsteps of the crowd passing you by you hear footsteps after footsteps after footsteps and then all of a sudden watch this you ready those footsteps stop can you imagine like, you call it out for Jesus, and then all the footsteps stop, and it just gets silent. And you're probably like, whoa, did I stop them? And then they come over to him. They grab him. They pick him up. He literally, imagine you're blind. You have no idea where they're taking you. Are they taking you to Jesus, or are they taking you off? They take this man to Jesus. They literally bring him face to face with Jesus. Jesus looks at his blind eyes and then asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man who has nothing to offer Jesus says, I want to see. I want to see again. I want to see clearer than I ever have before. I want you to restore my eyes. These men, these people who are telling me to be quiet, can't do for me what you can do for me. So I'm not going to be quiet unless you tell me to be quiet, Jesus. <laughs> but when you tell me to be quiet, Jesus, I'll sit. But I will not be silenced for man because I believe you are the Messiah. You are above all men. Jesus looks at him, says, your sight is restored. Your faith has saved you. 
Can you imagine? How different would your perspective of Jesus be if that happened to you? This man's entire life changed. Jesus didn't have to stop for him. Jesus is going on his path. What does Jesus have to gain from this man? Let me tell you three things Jesus did right here. You ready? Jesus saw his need. Jesus listened to his need. And then Jesus met his need. Can I tell you what godly leaders do? And this will be on the screen. You want to know where you are? Measure yourself with these. I measured myself. Godly leaders, A, they see people's needs. Write that down. Godly leaders see people's needs. In other words, when they're living their life, they see other people around them are hurting and broken down and need help. They see it. Their eyes are open to what others need around them. B, they listen to people's needs. Goodness gracious, we have more time in the world to listen to what people are struggling with and pray for them than we ever have before. There's people in your life, if they love you, Shouldn't they be willing to listen to you for a little bit? I'm not saying we talk for 10 hours about our issues all day long. But, man, if you're struggling with something, wouldn't it benefit to tell somebody you love? I think so. See, they meet people's needs when they can. You can't meet everybody's needs, but they meet people's needs. They find gaps and they fill them. Leaders, if you're a leader, I believe scripturally you find gaps and you fill them. Without always having to be told. I apply that to my own life and to my team. Jesus found gaps and filled them as a leader. I believe if we are really following after God, we will find those gaps and fill them. Because I don't want to let you off the hook on this yet. Those three godly things I just gave you, I want to flip those so you can see them very clearly. You know what selfish leaders do? And I've been, I've been guilty of this all the time. I'm in the same boat as you. I've been guilty of this yesterday, today. Selfish leaders, they, A, see only their own needs. It's always like looking in a mirror. It's always, man, woe is me. Man, I'm struggling. It's all about me, me, me. B, they speak only of their own needs. They call someone just to share what they're struggling with, but don't care to hear what the other person's struggling with. Jesus didn't even tell the blind man what Jesus had going on. It's not like Jesus is about to go die on a cross for the sins of the world. Jesus is literally focused on this man's needs in this moment. And see, selfish leaders seek to only meet their own needs. They seek to meet only their needs. My team asked me today, Daniel, what does it look like to objectify people? We know what it means in the sense of lust, but what does it mean to objectify people? Because look at me, this isn't in my notes. We objectify people more than we think you do. Anytime we look at someone in our life as just somebody who can do something for us or give us something, we've turned them into an object. And God says they are a chosen, loved creation. Don't objectify the people in your life. Because when you take time to genuinely encourage others, I'm not talking about just complimenting the good compliment. I'm not talking about anything fake. I'm not talking about all that stuff of, oh, man, I texted you something just hoping you'll text me back. No, if all they do is love it, it's worth it. When you do that, what's amazing is your soul will feel so encouraged. I talked to a couple people last night. I had, last week I had no idea if I was actually an encouragement to them. I tried, but I didn't know. And I was like, you know what, it doesn't matter. I tried my best. I'm encouraged. <laughs> I tried to encourage our leaders before this. I don't know what they feel, but I'm encouraged because I know the Spirit of God is still moving in the midst of all this. And I can trust that and have faith in that. 
When you encourage others, it shifts your focus off of you. And I think all of us need a change in focus. I've heard too many people tell me, man, this coronavirus has messed up this for me. It's messed up that for me. College students, people are dying. College students, people are losing jobs over this. I don't know if you believe it or not, but there might be other college students in our ministry that are struggling way worse than you and I are. Have you even stopped to think, you know what, if my life's okay by this, if all I got is a little less places to go and a little less money, if that's my only downfall of this, how could you radically impact someone else's life? Encourage. Who cares if they encourage you back? Be encouraged that you lived out the spirit of God. When I was a coach at Barla High School, I coached basketball for five years, loved coaching. Whenever our players got selfish, my coach always had a saying. I used to love it. I hit Dakota over the head with it about ten times a day. I love giving him a hard time about it. My coach was a serious dude. He came from UT Martin, college coach. He would always tell them whenever they were playing selfish, he'd always look at them and say, dude, you're not the only player on the court. There's nine other guys. Act like it. For me in my life where I've been the last couple of days, if I can be real with you, I've been telling myself that every day. Daniel, you're not the only one affected by this virus. Act like it. A great word for us tonight. I need to move on. Encourage somebody. Somebody you don't usually encourage. It'll bless your soul. It'll give you joy. Jesus didn't have to die for us. He chose to. It'll change your whole, it'll change your whole experience with this thing. I got I to keep going. I'm getting caught up here. Look with me at verses 13 to 14 of Psalm 34 as we keep moving. Psalm 34, 13, I told our leaders, this verse is one of the first verses I ever memorized at 21 years old. When I got saved at the park that night when I was laying on the ground in tears, I memorized this verse. It says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. The reason I memorized this is because my language was awful. I cussed every other word. I cussed like a sailor. I was lost. I didn't know God. And I knew that if there was really going to be a change in me, then there had to be a change as to what came from me. That my words had to shift a little bit if I really had the spirit of God. I memorized this verse. It's blessed my soul for four years. Verse 14. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Now remember, this is a man who gave into sexual immorality, adultery, and murder. If there's anybody that can tell you where the path of sin leads, it's David. And he's telling you, turn away. <laughs> he's saying, go the opposite direction. He says it over and over all throughout the Psalms. At the beginning of his life to the end of his life, he says, turn away from sin. Number three, you're going to love this point. <laughs> if you want joy, stop okaying sin. Say, <laughs> like, man, does a seminary teach you that? <laughs> if you want joy, stop okaying sin. And I put okaying on purpose. It's not like I couldn't find a bigger word. I put okaying on purpose. So you can stop making fun of me. I wasn't the brightest high school student. You may not be surprised by that. I wasn't the brightest high school student. I tried a little bit. I wasn't the brightest. And I remember one night when I was in the ninth grade, I was at home. I was listening to a basketball podcast. It wasn't even a famous podcast. It was some random fan who had four followers. I was listening to his podcast, and I, uh, I was listening to it on my iPod Touch. Man, you remember iPod Touch? Raise your hand if you remember iPod Touch. I can't see you, but I trust some of you remember it. Man, I used to love the iPod Touch. I was like, man, how is there a device where you can use the internet and music? <laughs> and now we got the iPhone. I love the iPod Touch, man. It changed my life. I was listening to a podcast on my iPod Touch, and I had earbuds. 
in my ears, the earbuds that had the suction cup on the end, you know, that cancel out the noise. It has that little suction cup you can take on and off. I had them in my ear. And that night, I fell asleep while listening to this podcast. And what was a good night turned to a nightmare very quickly. I woke up at 3 in the morning in a panic. I realized the worst feeling you could feel in this moment, really. I realized that the suction cup on the earbud had come off the earbud and has now lodged itself all the way in my ear. It felt like it was beating on my eardrum, like just all the way back here. Like I'm like, oh, this is awful. I start screaming. I start panicking. Like I never had this happen. I start freaking out. I run in my mom's room. I wake my mom up. It's 3 in the morning. I'm crying. I tell I don't know how many stories I'm going to tell you where I cried in, but I'm crying. I, and what she does is she takes a paperclip, and she straightens the paperclip all the way out. And then she hooks the end. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm crying. And she hooks the end, and she starts going in my ear. And she keeps going and going and going. I'm like, Mom, please tell me you're going to stop soon. She gets the paperclip, like, all the way in my ear and pulls. And she pulls this suction cup out of my ear, and I'm just looking at it like, I've never used earbuds again. (laughs) I've never used earbuds that have suction cups on them again because of this reason. As a ninth grader, I thought about this. I've thought about this story for years. Like, I have always remembered this story, but I never found a way how I could apply it within a sermon until this one right here. It's a simple concept. You're not going to be wild by it, but it is true. You see, that small little earbud that I put in and let linger too long ended up having the most damage. (laughs) I'm lobbing this one up for you. Watch this. That small, tiny little sin that you let in and you let linger too long can end up causing the most damage. Always will. The suction cup I let sit on the surface of my ear went way deeper. Listen, the sin that you let sit on the surface of your heart and your mind will always go way deeper. And guess what? I couldn't get that suction cup out of my ear until I went and told somebody the mistake I had made and then they helped me get it out. You want to know why you're struggling to conquer that sin? It's deep buried within you, and you haven't gone to get anyone to get a paperclip. <laughs> you haven't gone to a loved one to say, man, I need some help. Get the paperclip. Let me literally dig this sin out of my heart and my mind. That's why you're not finding freedom. It's just sitting there like a suction cup in your ear that you can't do anything about. You need help. I can't imagine the temptations you're facing being stuck at home with, with the devil device by you where you have internet all the time, 24-7. I can't imagine the temptations. I'm not going to go through them, but goodness gracious, you need help. You need help overcoming that sin. You can't do it on your own. Number one, you need Jesus Christ. But number two, you need someone you love. You need to go tell someone you love. You've got a suction cup stuck way down in your ear and you can't get it out. You need to tell someone, man, I'm struggling with looking at this on my phone. Man, I'm struggling with talking bad about people. Man, I'm struggling with loneliness, with fear, with pride. Man, go and tell someone you love if you're struggling with pride. Because oftentimes it's hard to diagnose pride because when you're prideful, you don't think you would ever struggle with pride. (laughs) So for me, I've realized when I get to a point I don't think I'm struggling with pride, I might be struggling with it the worst. Talk to someone, man. I'm telling you, you don't have to tell everybody, but you got to tell somebody. I know this is a wake-up call. I don't know who this is for, but you got to tell somebody in your life that you're struggling or you're going to keep okaying sin. Okay, I'll fall asleep with this earbud. It's no big deal. Okay, I'll give in to a little bit of this. I'll give in to a little bit of that. You're going to keep giving a pass to that sin. It's never going to change. 
you got to get to a point where those hidden sins, those secret sins you don't want to talk about, you got to get to a point where you love Jesus more than you love that sin. you got to get to a point where you literally hate that sin so much that you're willing to tell the world if it means you'll be clean of it. <laughs> There's freedom. There's freedom. And I need to address this because David does. He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Look at me. For some of you, your worst temptation is gossip. It's the way you talk about people when they're not around. Listen, gossip man, will take you and I faster down than many other sins will. It'll ruin a ministry. It'll take a group of people down. David says, keep evil from your tongue. Let me tell you something. If you really love people, it'll show in how you speak of people. <laughs> if you really love people, It'll show in how you speak of people. A Satan is a deceiver. And for everyone in you in your life, he's trying to take the joy that Christ has given you. But he can't. He can only deceive you to make you think you got to find it in other ways. I want to give you something that's very that has blessed me in my life. In my fight against spiritual warfare, and I pray this blesses you. This will be on the screen. This is the four stages of Satan's strategy that he's using against you. I love Tony Evans. This comes straight from one of his books, Warfare, that I've been studying lately. This is the four stages of Satan's attacks against you. You want to overcome spiritual warfare, here it is. The first one is desire. I want you to write that down. The four stages of Satan's strategy, the first one is desire. You have to understand a fundamental truth about the gospel, about Jesus and about Satan. Satan tempts you with meeting a good need in a bad way. You hear what I said? He's tempting you to meet a good need in a bad way. You say, Daniel, what do you mean? The desire for food is good, but gluttony is a sin. The desire for rest is good, but laziness is a sin. The desire... For sex is good, but sexual immorality is a sin. See, he tempts you with good needs God has given you in order to meet them in a bad way. Why do we do that? Oftentimes because it's easier, it's available, doesn't take a lot of time, it looks desirable, but it is not. Your desires are God-given. Satan just wants to control how you meet those desires. <laughs> That's his role in deceiving you. Let me tell you something. If you are not the master of your desires... Your desires will be the master of you. It's up to you and me. It's up to you and me. The second one is deception. So he takes a good desire that you have, and he tries to get you to meet it in a bad way. And then secondly is deception. This is where the devil is a master. He is so good at deceiving. He, is, he, he will outsmart you. He is an angelic being. He will outsmart you in this area. You've got to rely on the Spirit of God. He's going to deceive you. In the Garden of Eden, Satan tempted Eve with the, de with the deception, watch, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't bad. See, he deceived her in what God has said about that tree. In fact, I would even go so far to say that he convinced her that God was keeping something from her. In other words... He's trying to convince you that joy is a sin God is keeping you from instead of something that will kill you. That's what he's trying to do every day. 
But God isn't keeping joy from you. He's told you where joy comes from. It comes from his son. But just like Satan deceived Eve in the garden, right now in quarantine, that temptation you have, he's deceiving you to make you think that that will give you joy, but it never will. It never will. It won't happen. David was deceived on the balcony with Bathsheba. He looked down at her. He looked for too long. He didn't pull his eyes away. He didn't run away. He was deceived to thinking that he would find his joy if he got her. And look what it led him to. Led him to murder. Led him to lying. Cheating. Don't let him deceive you. Right now, if you're taking notes, I feel the Spirit of God telling me to do this. Right now, if you're taking notes, write down in your notes how Satan is deceiving you. Just for you. You don't have to share this. But right where you are, write down the area he's deceiving you in. Whatever it is. Just for you to see. Where is he deceiving you? Where is he attacking you? The third stage is disobedience. The third stage is disobedient. We know that Eve in the garden chose to sin because she was deceived. She disobeyed God. The devil's going to try to take your desires and twist them to meet them in a bad way. Not only that, he's going to try to Get you to disobey what God has said. David warns you. He says, don't do it. Turn away from what is evil. The fourth one is death. Desire, deception, disobedience, and death. You want to know his strategy, how he's coming after you during this time of quarantine? This is exactly it. This is where he's attacking you. Because if Jesus Christ is life and in him the fullness of joy, then in sin there is no life and there is the absence of joy. Because Jesus is 100% perfect, 100% holy, never sinned. Your joy is in Christ, not in that temptation. You know, this quarantine, this whole thing we're in right now, it's going to be what you make it. You want to be encouraged? Encourage others. You want to be close to the Lord? Worship, pray, and read his word. Or else we're going to come out of this quarantine sluggish. Wherever you are, Jacob, our director, sent me this verse. It was an encouragement. He didn't have to send me this. He took the time last week to send me this verse and encourage me. He sent me John 15, 9 to 11. You'll see it on the screen. As the Father, Jesus says, has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Our last two verses we're going to look at from Psalm 34 is verse 4 and 5. David says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy, and their faces will never be ashamed. Number four, and lastly, in closing, if you want joy, pray for it. If you want joy, pray for it. If David could attest to anything, it was prayer. He was a praying man. He journaled, he wrote down, he sang, he prayed to God. What would it look like for you every day that you wake up to literally start your day by praying and asking for joy? I do it every day. It's a hard enough life as it is. It's a hard enough world, broken world. I do it every day. I say, Lord, give me joy today. Father, fill me with your spirit today that I might know you in a clear way. What if you prayed for it every morning before you got out of bed? Pray for joy. You know, there's many of you who don't have joy right now And quite simply put, it's because you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
you're watching this stream, you clicked on it, you're alone, wherever you are, you were friends, you're, maybe you're a family member of one of our college students. I got to tell you, I was lost for a long time. I never had joy because I didn't know Jesus Christ. He is a source of joy. This is a fallen world. I want the Christians to start praying right now. This is a fallen world. We have fallen into sin. There's brokenness everywhere. You know as well as I do, this world is not how it's supposed to be. Look at this virus. It's killing people. This world has fallen. And because we have sinned in the garden, because Adam and Eve sinned and humanity has, fell, has fallen, God chose to come down to us. He chose to come down to us in the form of man. In our form. He came down to defeat the devil who was an angel. He came down to defeat him in the form of man. Just to punch him in the mouth as hard as he could. Jesus Christ came down. Fully man. Fully God. Never sinned. Can you imagine? You think about all the sin in your life. All the sin in my life. He lived a life where he never sinned. Can you imagine? He walked this earth. He healed people. He loved people. He cared for people. He cares for you. And the world chose to crucify him. They tortured him. They laid his hands out on nails. They nailed him to a cross. And he died for our sin. He was the sacrifice for your sin. And he was thinking about you and me on the cross. He died for us. But it doesn't end there. Jesus Christ rose from the grave three days later. Defeating death. Defeating sin, overcoming this world. Nobody else has resurrected from the grave. Jesus Christ died and then resurrected again. And now the Bible tells us that you can have the same joy that I try to live in if you give your life to Jesus Christ. There's college students all across the city right now who would attest to God is good. But the Bible says you have to repent. It's not a word we always like to talk about, but repentance means not just telling God your sins, but giving God your sins. It means telling God, I'm done. I give this sin over to you. I've been walking in this direction. I've been going towards sin. I repent of it. I have this real moment. My team was asking me today, what does it really mean to repent? It means you turn from a lifestyle you were living and start heading towards Jesus Christ. You repent of that sin that you got in your life. Then the Bible tells you, I was 21 years old when I did it, truly in my heart. If you believe in your heart, if you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. You confess him. You say, Jesus, you're my Lord. I believe in you, and I'm willing to follow you. Then you say, I've done too much sin to get saved. I've done way too many bad things. The Bible tells us for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. You can make that decision tonight. If you pray and repent of your sins and give your life over to Jesus, you can get saved tonight. For Christians that are watching, let me encourage you. How are you going to live in joy this week? But not just that, shift your focus from you. How are you going to help others find their joy in Christ this week? What does it look like for you? What does that look like for you and me? And we're so thankful for all of you. I want to pray real quick, and then Dakota's going to come up and share some more with us. Let's pray together for those who might be giving their lives to Jesus right now. Heavenly Father, we do lift up all the people across the city watching this stream. God, we do pray that you would save someone tonight. God, we do pray that for us as Christians that we would be encouraged and challenged to live in joy and to live in freedom. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.